Thank you for joining us for another life-giving message from City Church Now in Progress. What I'm about to share is connected to what I shared last week. Because Luke chapter 18 closes with the story of blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. Luke chapter 19 is sort of the aftermath. It's sort of the after party. Because Luke picks up the narrative in chapter 19, just about where chapter 18 ends. Because in Luke chapter 19, we find that Jesus now is entering and passing through Jericho. In Luke chapter 18, he's on the outskirts of Jericho where he encounters Bartimaeus. Naturally, Bartimaeus is a beggar. He is ostracized. He is an outcast. And he's on the outskirts of the city begging alms. He encountered Jesus on the outskirts of the city. And he, Jesus does this notable miracle. And the noise and the chatter of this miracle moves from the outskirts of the city, from the gates to Jericho, into the city. And that's where Luke chapter 19 and verse 1 picks up. So Jesus starts outside the city and makes his way into the city. And we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. I want to make sure that I take a moment and emphasize the significance of this moment and the significance of Jericho. Because this is not the first time Jericho has been mentioned in Scripture. Jericho is symbolic of obstacles and persistent faith. And as I was preparing, I felt the Lord prompt me to say this to Converge Church, that in 2020, make sure you prepare your heart for obstacles, but the persistent faith that will overcome every single one of them. He said, Pastor, what are you talking about? It's the first city that the Israelites encountered as they crossed over into the promised land. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. And right as they cross over Kadesh Barnea into the land of promise, the first thing that they're confronted with is a city surrounded by impregnable walls. Bible commentators say that the walls of Jericho were eight feet thick and 30 feet tall. And God brings them into the promised land, and the first thing they encounter is what? Obstacles. How many of you realize that you can be smack dab in the middle of the will of God and still encounter walls and still encounter giants? Notice Jesus comes into the city. He comes into Jericho, but Jericho is the place of obstacles and persistent faith. Isn't that the lesson we learned from the Israelites? That God instructed them to march around the walls of Jericho once a day for six days and then on the seventh day to march around the walls how many times? Seven times. And on that seventh time, they were supposed to shout and that the walls would come down. Listen to me. Jericho is not only the place we encounter obstacles, but it's the place we learn persistent faith. Albert Einstein is often credited with these words, that insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. 
May I submit to you this morning, Converge, that what Albert Einstein was describing was not insanity, that in kingdom economics, what Albert Einstein was defining was persistent faith, that it is possible to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result from God. The Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho six days and saw nothing. And there's some of you in this, this morning who have followed God's instruction for six days, for six months, for six years, and you've seen absolutely nothing. Yet the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 that if we will not grow weary in well-doing, we will surely reap if we faint not. Here are the Israelites marching around the walls of Jericho, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. They marched around the walls six days and saw nothing. But in obedience to God and in faith in God, said, we're going to do it again. And this time, we're not just going to do it once, we're going to do it seven times. And how many of you realize, after they did it the seventh time, on the seventh day, still nothing happened. Not a crack in the wall. Until they shouted. Listen to me. There are going to be seasons and moments in your life when it seems like obedience to God is yielding absolutely nothing. But the scripture says, if you and I will not grow weary in well-doing, doing what God instructed, we will surely reap if we faint not. Jesus performs this miracle at the entrance at the gates to Jericho. And I find it interesting that the catalyst for Bartimaeus' miracle was a shout. Just like the Israelites brought down the walls with a shout. Y'all awful quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. Y'all can encourage the pastor a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit. It is a place not only of obstacles, but of persistent faith. Let me tell you something about persistent faith. Persistent faith is not about overcoming God's reluctance. It is about outlasting the enemy's resistance. I'll say it again. What the Bible teaches about persistent faith, what the Bible teaches us about travailing in faith, it's not that we're trying to overcome a reluctant God or convince a reluctant God. What, we're, what the God is teaching us is he's teaching us that in our persistence in our faith, we overcome the enemy's resistance. So even in verse 1, there are life lessons for us in 2020. The life lesson is persist in faith. Even when your year or your month starts with an obstacle that seems immovable. March around that wall six times. And on the seventh day, let out a shout. And the wall will, listen to me, the walls will come down. Thirteen times they marched around the wall. Six times the first day. Six is the number of man. Seven, the number of God. And if we will persist, what we do is we invite the power of God into our human circumstances. 
Are y'all listening to what I'm saying? And so here in Jericho, we're learning something about overcoming obstacles so that we can lay hold of the promise of God. The Israelites did it in Genesis. Bartimaeus did it in chapter 18. And the lesson for us, the lesson for us in chapter 19 is that Bartimaeus had to do the exact same thing. There were obstacles, not Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, who we're about to learn about, had to overcome the exact same thing. And he had to persist in his faith. Are you listening? We're going to learn something this morning about faith that persists and ultimately prevails. Listen to me. What if, what if Bartimaeus had quit shouting when the people tried to quiet him? What if the Israelites had quit marching on the sixth day? There's so many what ifs represented in this room. If only I had persisted one more semester. And the problem is not the faithfulness of God. The problem is our endurance. And that's why the scripture says you have need of patience so that after you have done the will of God, then you will inherit the promise. In 2020, there will be obstacles. But those who overcome those obstacles are those who persist. And those who persist, even though you don't see the first crack in the wall, and everybody says to you, well, girl, no, no, don't say girl no more. We say sis. Sis, uh, you, you, you know what you're doing is crazy. The way you live in your life is the very definition of insanity. You keep on believing and believing and you don't see no results? That's crazy. Yet God calls it faith. Persisting. Even when we don't see the desired result. It's true for The Israelites is true for Bartimaeus, and it's true now for this third character we're going to introduce. And out of the mouth of three witnesses, let every word be established. Listen to me. I got 10 verses to get through. That was just verse number one. (laughs) Stick with me. Stick with me. I'm talking about faith that persists and prevails. The kind of faith that outlasts the enemy's resistance. That's what the Lord is calling us into in 2020. So, so, so where are we? I said verse 1. Now the scripture says, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And listen to this. He was rich. God was loaded. He would have been one of Jericho's most prominent citizens, except for one thing, how he amassed his riches. You see, Zacchaeus was not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. That means he would have been the director of the Jericho Bureau of the IRS. 
check this out. Even back in Bible times, they hated the IRS, y'all. But there's more to the story. Because being a chief tax collector meant that Zacchaeus was a Jew serving at the pleasure of the Roman occupiers. That means Zacchaeus was a Jew and an Israelite doing the bidding of the people who were oppressing his brothers. It means that Zacchaeus became rich by being a sellout. It means that Zacchaeus amassed his wealth on the backs of people he should have been helping and serving. And the scripture says he was very rich. How many of you realize you can be rich on the outside and empty on the inside? I have discovered that Jesus didn't just come to reach the down and out. He also came to reach the up and out. And Jericho connects the lives of these two men. One, a beggar, one, a peasant, and one, the chief tax collector in the city. But they both were desperate for change. Are y'all listening to me? Now I can imagine being Zacchaeus was a lonely place to live. You've heard me quote Zig Ziglar before who said, it is possible to climb the ladder of success only to find that the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. It is possible to be like Zacchaeus and to pursue all that life has to offer by any means necessary and have all you ever wanted, all you ever desired, and sit in your big old mansion empty. Zacchaeus lying on his big old bed is no different than Bartimaeus begging by the roadside because both men's lives are void and empty without Jesus. And everywhere Jesus went, there was a convergence of those three things that you'll see us wear on our shirts. There was always a convergence. There was always an intersection and sometimes even a collision of Jesus, of people, and purpose. Here's a man who's living a life that most of us would say is the dream. He ain't got nobody to share with. Empty on the inside. Let me read a verse of scripture to you. Calling an audible. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. I believe it's 317. Ain't in my notes. I'm going off the dome. I think it's 317. Yeah, sure is. If you can, we can throw that on the screen. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Laodicea. And notice the words in red. This gives us a beautiful picture of what Zacchaeus may have been feeling and experiencing on the inside. In spite of everything he had on the outside. Notice what verse 17 said. It's, it says, he, Jesus is speaking and he says, because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy and I don't need nothing. 
And do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Is it possible this is what Zacchaeus was feeling on that fateful day when he heard that Jesus was passing by? And he finds himself in Jericho, the place not only of obstacles, but a place of persistent faith. And the narrative continues here in verse number three with these words. And he sought to see who Jesus was. <sighs> he wanted to see this man that he had heard so much about. In fact, the commotion that brought him to his window and brought him to the veranda of his IRS bureau in Jericho was because he wanted to see this man named Jesus. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. You say, Pastor, Pastor Ray, where are you going with this? When I talk about who we are and establishing the culture of City Church, listen to me. Converge Church, push-ups, listen to what the Lord's selling us. Let's not be a part of the crowd that keeps people from seeing Jesus. All around us, there are people just like Bartimaeus, and all around us, there are people just like Zacchaeus. The reason he has converged church here, and when I say here, I'm not just talking about geographically, but the reason we exist as a church is so that we can have eyes and hearts that are open and aware to the needs that exist around us. And let's not get it twisted. Let's not get it twisted. Just because we can dress up our pain doesn't mean we are right. The church is notorious for playing dress up. And for most of us, Sunday morning is our invitation to the masquerade ball. Jesus has called the church to be a place where people can be vulnerable and transparent. But just like Bartimaeus, there's a crowd that's keeping Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. And I wonder how many of us and how, how, how many people the church has wounded in the process so that they can no longer see Jesus or so that they no longer desire to see him. The kind of church that God is calling us. In fact, my friend called me uh, out of the blue last night, and we were just talking. He called me, and we're just shooting the breeze. And all of a sudden, this conversation starts about faith wounds. Because he served on church, on staff at a mega church. Listen to me, not all that glitters is gold. My wife has accurately and notoriously said that the church is a lot like the mafia. Outside, they're playing that Italian music and everybody enjoying their spaghetti and meatballs, but on the, in the back, they're plucking out eyes and cutting off fingers. I'm talking about the church. 
that is supposed to be God's solution to every problem in the earth. I don't know why he called me with that. You know what his words were? He says, when psychologists list traumatic uh, occurrences and, and, and diseases, at the top of the PTSD list should be church hurt. I couldn't disagree with him. I couldn't disagree with him. I couldn't disagree with him. Because when we as the church invite people to be vulnerable and be transparent and tell us their business and turn around and stab them in the back, the church is, listen to me, the church is the only army on earth where friendly fire is acceptable. In fact, the church is the only place on earth where the same person on the army wearing this, in the army wearing the same uniform with you is going to see you bleeding and finish the job. So when the scripture says we are, when we talk about being, we are converged, we're not going to be the kind of church that's like the crowd that keeps people from seeing Jesus. When you read Luke chapter 18, it was Jesus' own disciples. It was Jesus' inner circle. It was the people closest to Jesus who were telling Bartimaeus, shut up. They were the ones who were trying to keep Bartimaeus from his miracle. They were the ones trying to stifle Bartimaeus' persistent faith. It was church folk. And the kind of church that God is calling us to be. In fact, when you see our signage all around the shops at Legacy next week, let me tell you what the messaging is going to say. One of the signs is going to say, no perfect people allowed. The other sign, as people are walking by and jogging by, walking their dogs and sipping their lattes that they will see, is a sign that says you can belong before you believe. Dude told me one time, said, Ray, I know you're a pastor, but I don't go to church no more because of a bunch of hypocrites. I said, bro, don't let that stop you. There's room for one more. Come on down and join the rest of us, you hypocrite. The problem with people who are looking for a perfect church is the fact that the moment you show up, the church just became imperfect. Because you brought your imperfect self. Which is exactly why the church exists. So when we say we are converge, the culture of city church, converge church, sorry, is that people matter to God. So people matter to us. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, this is not a message about how you can get your breakthrough in eight steps. Oh, 20 steps in 2020. Oh, 20 in 20. They, they, <laughs> they say that message. This is a message about being the church that Jesus imagined. I'm about to wrap up. So here's a man 
who has everything seemingly on the outside. But when you pull back the veil, empty on the inside. Desperate to see Jesus. Just to get a glimpse of him. But he has two problems. There's the crowd. And he's short. And verse 4 says, listen to me. Verse 4 says, so he ran ahead. <laughs> Somebody say, I'm desperate for you. Listen to me. Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. He got a condo in Turtle Creek, y'all. It's so desperate for Jesus that he doesn't care how foolish he looks. He doesn't care how foolish he sounds. And what I started when I was reading the text, what I kept coming to, to was the fact that how desperate this guy must have been. Because it's only desperate people who do desperate things. I'm not talking about people who are complacent where Jesus is a take it or leave it proposition. I'm talking about being so desperate for him that you throw aside your dignity and your title and your affluence and your influence, run ahead of the crowd and climb up in a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Uh, by show of hands, uh, uh, not by show of hands. Let me just ask you, just to put this in perspective. When was the last time you climbed a tree? Let me just put that in perspective for all the grown folk in this room. When was the last time you climbed a tree? You probably have to go all the way back to when you were nine, ten, six, my wife said. Listen to me, the fact that this man left everything, not just to walk and be cute and pretty about it, but to run ahead of the crowd and climb up a tree and wait for Jesus to intersect his desperation. Listen to me, the thing that fascinates me about this story is what level of desperation was Zacchaeus experiencing that it prompted him to such desperate measures? I'm asking how big is your want to this year for God? Let me just, let me just, is it big enough for you to even come to church on time? Is it big enough for you to even come to church more than once a month? Is it big enough for you to commit 21 days are you desperate enough for God to say life is busy but I'm going to set time aside to clean a dirty diaper so that a mom who desperately needs to see Jesus can have a break for an hour and a half I'm talking about the church he's calling us to be listen to me there, there, there is a level of desperation there is a level of hunger that no money can satisfy. And the problem with Zacchaeus, listen to me, the problem with Zacchaeus is the problem that most of us have. Because when we self-medicate, 
we delay God's healing process. Zaki is self-medicated with money. Zaki is self-medicated with greed. Zaki is self-medicated with dishonesty. But there's a whole bunch of us in this room who have our drug of choice. Are we going to be the kind of church that recognizes the Zacchaeus is in our midst? Uh, okay, let me, let, me, let me wrap up the story. Because this is the kind of desperation that Zacchaeus is experiencing. And he's looking for a church that can represent Jesus to him. That's what the Zacchaeuses around us are looking for. They're running ahead of the crowd. They're climbing up trees just so they can get a glimpse of Jesus. And where are they going to get that glimpse of Jesus? They're going to get that glimpse of Jesus from you and me. That when we, when we and as we live, they will see our lives and say, that's what I've been looking for. But when our marriages are just as busted as theirs, they can't see Jesus in that. When we are just as grumpy as they are, they can't see Jesus in that. In fact, when you go talk to somebody about it, they'll say, why won't you let Jesus be good to you first before you come telling me about your Jesus? You selling something that ain't even working for you. Let it work for you first. And there are people all around us when we leave our homes and go into the marketplace and the public square who are climbing trees looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, that's why you're here, Ray. That's why you're here, Converge Church. Are y'all with me? <laughs> okay. So, 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 what did I say? We're not going to be a part of the crowd that keeps Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. And we're not going to be the kind of church that creates a culture where people have to climb a tree to see him. That they have to jump through hoops. They got to do this, got to do that just to get to your Jesus. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. A couple of questions to ask yourself in 2020. If your 2020 is going to be any different than 2019 was, how desperate are you for Jesus? Are you desperate enough to run ahead of the crowd? Are you desperate enough to climb a tree? How big, listen to me, how big is your want to? How big is your want to? How big is your want to? Because here's the bottom line. The proof of desire is in your pursuit. I prove how much I want something by how much I pursue it. And if there's no pursuit, there's really no true and lasting desire for it. Listen to me. People only change when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than their fear of change itself. Listen to me. 
people only change when the pain of staying the same, of staying in the thing that you have normalized, when that becomes greater than the fear of change itself, then you're going to change. And unless the pain of staying the same becomes greater than your fear of changing the way things are, you're going to stay right there. You're going to be just like Zacchaeus, and Jesus is going to walk by, and you're still going to be miserable. Are y'all with me? Okay. Uh, but I love it. I love the way the story ends. Because everywhere Jesus went, there was a convergence. There was an intersection of faith and culture. There was a, an intersection of Jesus and people and purpose. And wherever Jesus was, there were people and he was consistently pointing them to their purpose. Ah, Zacchaeus was paid, but he was empty. I don't know why I keep coming back to this. Because there's so much more to life than just getting paid. So much more to life than just getting paid. Yeah, that's a byproduct of it. That's a byproduct of it. That's a byproduct of it. God wants us to have more so we can do more. But success in and of itself is not an end. It's a means to an end, which is helping hurting people. But I digress. Notice what the next verse says. And when Jesus came to the place, ha, he looked up and saw him. How many of you realize that some of us think we're looking for Jesus, but he already seen us? Listen to me, listen to me. Jesus already had Zacchaeus in his scopes, y'all. Zacchaeus is in a tree, but Jesus saw him. And not only did Jesus see him, Jesus calls him by name a man who he had never met. Let me tell you something. Jesus knows every single thing about you. And most of us think we're looking for God, but he's already seen you. In fact, could it be that the reason Jesus came through Jericho Hey, was because of Zacchaeus. What if this story, what if this story is like the woman at the well where the scripture says that Jesus must needs, he had to go through Samaria. You know how I know that? You know how I know that? Let me tell you how I know that. Let me tell you how I know that. Jesus looks up in the tree, verse five, and he sees Zacchaeus, a man he's never met, calls him by name and he says, Zacchaeus! Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus. Jesus invited himself. Now, why on earth would Jesus invite himself unless Zacchaeus already had an appointment with destiny that he didn't even know about? Can I, may I submit to you that the desperation that you feel on the inside for Jesus is coming from Jesus himself. That tug you feel in your heart. You think it's you, but it's been Jesus all along. 
And on this day, what if Jesus already knew where he was going? What if coming and passing through Jericho was not just a random act? What if Jesus said, I'm going to Jericho so that a man who desperately needs me can find me? And what if in 2020, Jesus is saying, I've seen every tear you cried. I mean, when you stuff your face in the pillow so nobody can hear you. I'm talking about when you wake up in the morning and we can still see the tears, the tracks of your tears, Smokey Robinson said. What if 2020 is the year that Jesus chooses to come to your house? Because he's seen you all along. So the scripture says, Zacchaeus made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. Have you ever given a thirsty man a drink? Have you ever seen a thirsty man have his first drink? That's what, that's what Zacchaeus is experiencing. He knows in this moment that the emptiness he has felt up until this moment is about to be resolved, removed, and healed. He knows that this is this defining moment. He knows. He knows. He knows that everything changes from this day forward because he has now seen Jesus. Verse 7 says, but when they saw it, somebody say they, church folk. Now hold up, Jesus. How come we've been following you before you got to Jericho? Now you in Jericho, and we've been following you, and ain't nothing happening for me? Now, it's one thing to stop and heal the blind man. I get it. But you're going to stop again to heal and help somebody else? And I've been pressing against you and following you all this time? Listen to me. Notice what was in their heart, though. Listen to me, proximity to Jesus doesn't mean we acknowledge the presence of Jesus. Oh. And just because we're around Jesus doesn't mean that we are aware of him. And it's possible to be one in the crowd and totally miss Jesus. And totally miss Jesus. Listen to me. The kind of church that God is calling us to be is the kind of church that embraces every Bartimaeus and every Zacchaeus God sends us. Because the truth of the matter is, God loves people you don't like. 
And notice, instead of celebrating the fact that Jesus had come to the house of a sinner, they did what? They complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who was a sinner. Church folk, instead of celebrating the transformation that was imminent, this man's life's going to be changed forever. They complained and said Jesus is a friend of sinners. But listen to me, if we are going to be the church and if people are going to see Jesus, we have to risk being criticized for loving well. We are converge. Because everywhere Jesus went, there was a convergence of Jesus, people, and he always pointed them to their purpose. So here's where we're going to end. Here's where we're going to end. And I know they're playing the Academy Award, get off the stage music behind me. Everybody say hi, Will. Still love you, bro. But I got to say this. I got to say this because this is it. This is the whole reason for this story. Jesus comes to his house. In verse 8 it says, then Zacchaeus stood. Notice what he called Jesus. Didn't call him Jesus. He called him Lord. That's the first indication of surrender. Listen to me. Your life and my life will always move in the direction of the voices we've chosen to trust over the course of our lifetime. And now for the first time he encounters Jesus and he chooses to trust the voice of Jesus. And not just trust the voice of Jesus, but now he is submitting and surrendering his entire life to him. Listen to me, the church, we ain't got a problem with Jesus being our savior. We ain't got a problem with the fact that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. Where the rub comes is will Jesus be Lord? Savior means he died for your sins. Lord means he's in charge of everything. It means everything about your life is surrendered to him. And there's a lot of Christians who know Jesus as Savior, but reject him as Lord. Jesus, you can have all this other stuff, but this right here, this right here for me, don't touch it. Leave it alone. But in this moment, Zacchaeus surrenders all. Notice what he says. Listen, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'm going to restore it fourfold. The transformation is so radical that the things that he once thought were the most important things. That's how you know you've surrendered. When you're willing to let it go. Because what you're willing to walk away from always determines what God will bring you into. Are y'all listening to what I'm saying this morning? But here's the part I want to get to. Here's the part I want to get to. May I submit to you that the first thing Jesus wants to change in order to radically transform our lives is something called identity. 
may I submit to you that sometimes we act the way we do because we don't realize who we really are. Because we don't really know who we are. Notice what Jesus said in verse 9. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Jesus, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Listen to it. Here it is. Because he is also a son of Abraham. Let me tell you what Jesus had to deal with before he walked away from Zacchaeus. He had to shake him. He had to shake him from his blindness and say to him, Zacchaeus, you don't have to do any of this stuff anymore. You ain't got to cheat nobody out of nothing. You ain't got to trick nobody out of nothing. You know why, Zacchaeus? Because you too are a son of Abraham. You know what I'm saying? He said, Zacchaeus, you a child of God. And until we allow God to deal with the identity issue, we will try to find value and self-worth in everything but Jesus. I hope y'all listening to this. I hope y'all are listening to this. This is the cure. This is the cure. This is the cure to every void you've ever experienced. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man is a son of Abraham. Even though you ain't been acting like it. This man is a son of Abraham. And the scripture says to us today, if anyone, man or woman, is in Christ, he is Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. That means everything God promised Abraham belongs to you, belongs to me in Christ. And I don't have to fill the voids in my life with empty, transient things. Because now that I know my identity in Christ, I know who I really am. And this is where I close. Your identity, I'm sorry, intimacy with God will reveal your identity. Zacchaeus had an intimate encounter with Jesus. Jesus revealed his identity to him. You are a son of Abraham. Now, when Jesus reveals our identity, the third thing happens, and that is integrity. The word integrity comes from a Greek word which means wholeness. When Jesus, when we're intimate, have an intimate encounter with Jesus, he reveals our identity. And when he reveals our identity, we find wholeness, soundness, nothing missing, nothing lacking, and nothing broken. You know why? So that we can have the fourth thing, which is influence in the earth. We can become difference makers that change the world. So worship team, why don't you come? And I want to pray for you. We're going to pray this morning before we're dismissed. That the Lord will help us see his plan and his purpose for our lives. And that God would respond to the desperation that many might be feeling even in this moment. One of the reasons... Relationships don't work. It's because we enter relationships with people looking for them to fulfill us in ways only Jesus can. And every time we squeeze them, we hope Jesus going to come out. But all we get is more of them. 
No, no. Jesus wants for you to encounter him. And when you do, he will reveal your identity and say, this woman, this woman is a daughter of Abraham. This man is a son of Abraham. And you don't have to look to other things for fulfillment. All you need to do is taste and see that the Lord is good. So, Father, this morning, as we close out this message and today's worship experience, We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more details about City Church and for other resources, visit us online at www.citychurchtv.com or contact us via email at info at citychurchtv.com. If you were encouraged or inspired by today's message, we ask that you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, either in a one-time gift or as a monthly partner. No gift is too small. We have three convenient ways for you to give. Via our website at citychurchtv.com backslash give. Via text, text City Church TV and the amount that you would like to give to 77977. By mail, mail your check or money order to City Church Global Ministries, 8105 Razor Boulevard, Box 90, Plano, Texas, 75024. Once again, thank you for downloading today's message. We look forward to connecting with you soon.